Well, that's not my lesson. I better hurry up because I hear bells are going to ring. <laughs> Let me say that I am just overjoyed to uh, be here tonight. Uh, fortunately, this is not my first time here. So if I don't hear amens, I'll understand now. <laughs> uh, it's good to be invited back again someplace. I don't know what that says, but uh, I do know what it says when you're never invited back again. So I'll accept this as a good thing to be here uh, once again. And I'm uh, elated with the relationship that, that Brother Mike and I have been able to uh, forge ahead with, and uh, we uh, really are encouraged by the ministry that he leads on Bible Talk TV, uh, so much so that we've, we've even chosen to uh, help financially in a, in a small way uh, to help that ministry as well. So I'm glad that my, some of my members are here tonight at that. You can see that we have grown because the last time I was here, only me and my wife was here. <laughs> and now I have some of our members here, and so we're just, we're just, I'm happy. I am happy. Uh, Second Peter is the, is the epistle, the book uh, that I chose. Uh, one, because it's short. Two, because I have a short time to, to summarize it. Uh, but that's what I'll be doing is Second Peter. Now, Second Peter uh, was written by the apostle Peter. And it was written to the church to exhort uh, Christians to beware, I believe, and also to grow. Beware and grow, because there were false teachers in the church. They were no longer just outside of the church, but they were inside the church. Uh, I believe this book was probably written toward the end of, of Peter's life uh, when he talks about how uh, God has told him that soon he will be deceased. In 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, about verse 15. Uh, so Peter seeks to stimulate Christian growth in chapter 1. He uh, combats false teaching in chapter 2. And he encourages watchfulness in view of the Lord's certain uh, return in chapter number three. Chapter one, I believe that the key component in chapter one is, is knowledge. Uh, he talks about it in chapter one, verses Two, three, five, six, and eight. Also in chapter two at verse twenty and twenty-one, and then again in the last verse of the book, 
chapter 3 and verse number 18. The word for knowledge, uh, epignosis, means precise and correct knowledge. It means both to have knowledge as well as to have uh, understanding. In all that getting, the writer said, get an understanding. It's the real or genuine knowledge that uh, is founded upon the word of God. The knowledge spoken here has a close connection, I believe, to faith. It does not refer to uh, mere intellectual knowledge but it's much more than our intellect. Uh, Peter's introduction uh, from the very outset of accurate uh, and complete knowledge is in view of an anticipation of the attack of the false prophets that we learn about in chapter 2 and parts of chapter 3. Uh, he tells his readers uh, in about verses 5 through 8 in chapter 1 that knowledge is something that we must increase in. In other words, getting knowledge is one thing, but however, increasing in knowledge is really what it's all about. And Peter lets the people know that though you have what you have, you must not be content just with the knowledge that you have, but you should seek to build upon that knowledge. He speaks to, I believe, in verse 9 of chapter 1, that a lack of knowledge gets us into trouble. Hosea penned in Hosea 4 and uh, about 6 and 8 portion of that verse. He says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, if lack of knowledge can destroy us, then it should lead us all to say that we need to always be about uh, an increase in knowledge. He talks in verse 10 about how the Lord has chosen you. And, and the promise here is that if we practice the things that he talked about beforehand, in verse 10 he said, we will never stumble. How about that promise? To never stumble. Peter felt that Christians... Forget. He didn't accuse them of being ignorant, but he did say that we are and they are forgetful. And so Peter proclaimed that he wanted to always uh, be about reminding them, reminding us, stirring up their pure minds about something which they really already know But as you know, 
What we know, we don't always do. So we need to be stirred up from time to time. We need to have our pure mind stirred up. We need to be reminded really constantly, even more than Wednesday and Sunday, what we need to be doing. And so he talks about that in chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Uh, Knowing that he would soon die, Peter said, I still will be concerned about you, that you will be reminded of these things even after he has gone. And then when he gets down to verse 16 through 18 in chapter 1, he talks about being an eyewitness, an eyewitness account. And he talks about his and other apostles' credentials and that they were the best witnesses that you could have because they were eyewitnesses. Peter says, we saw and we heard and we were with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you can find a more credible witness than an eyewitness who says he was there with Jesus Christ. He heard him say that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. In Matthew, I believe, 17 and verse 5. And then finally in in, in chapter 1, he talks about the scriptures being inspired and, and that he encourages them as he encourages us to pay attention to the word of God. Pay attention. Pay attention means more than just a casual familiarity, but it actually needs to involve a diligent study of the word. And so Peter must love the people. He, he, he exemplifies uh, in this situation, I believe, what a shepherd, an elder, a pastor should be concerned about. The people. And them not only obtaining salvation, but maintaining and keeping salvation. And he speaks to that scripture was not about any man's interpretation, but... It came about as they were moved by the Holy Spirit and spoke from God. So then that brings us to chapter number 2. And he talks there about people who do not teach the truth. Uh, Talks about the rise of false prophets and teachers, but... He also talks about the fall of false prophets and teachers. He speaks to them about the false teachers, which before he spoke about the false prophets, but now the false teachers are in the church. They are among us, but they are not of us. 
You see, sometimes people can be in our midst and uh, appear perhaps to uh, be of us, but they are simply just among us, and they don't have good intentions for us. He says that they follow, in verses 2 and 3, after their own desires. But he says, however, their judgment is at the door. Uh, Peter then continues there in chapter 2, and he discusses about some past events that perhaps these people would be familiar with. Um, it's just clever because the best way to get somebody's attention is to talk to them about something that they know something about. And so that's what he does in about verse 4 through, through verse 10 and the first portion of verse 10, he talks about some examples of God's destruction, but right along with that, he talks about God's ability to also rescue. Uh, in verse 4, he talks about how God did not spare angels when they sinned. In verse 5, he talks about how God did not spare uh, the ancient world, but he sent a flood. And the only folk were saved were eight people, uh, Noah, his sons, and their wives. He talks about also how he did not spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah as well as other cities who were, as you know, doing everything under the sun sexually. But yet he talks about a righteous lot who lived there among Sodom and Gomorrah, but he was torn in his spirit about all of the things that were going on around him, and God reached in there, and he rescued Lot. And then he says in verse 9, he says, Well, then the Lord God knows how to rescue a godly person from temptation. The Lord also knows how to reserve evil people for the judgment day and still punish them now. This is especially true for the people who follow the filthy desires of their human nature. They look down on God's authority Peter goes on and describes the characteristics of these people uh, in the second portion of verse 10 through about verse 16. And he, he talks about how they are daring and, and they are self-willed. And, and, and he said they revile, but actually they, they blaspheme, they, they slander, and they insult with regard to their speech. Uh, you know, in the first century, blasphemy was a capital offense. And in fact, Jesus' uh, sentence was in part for this sin. 
He further describes these false teachers in verse 13 through 16. He says these false prophets, these false teachers, they weren't always false. They were not always false. They, 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 they once walked in the right path and then they forsook it. You perhaps are familiar with someone you know who began on the right path, but perhaps some teacher who mixed truth and error together perhaps got this person to forsake the right path. They were lured as you would lure a fish. They were lured from the path of duty of, uh, by the wages of wrongdoing. In other words, they, 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 they had the truth and they sold it. Buy the truth and what? Sell it not. He mentions Balaam, who was not always a false prophet, but for the love of wages, he became one. You see, false teachers don't just tell you all lies. They mix truth with lies and twist even the truth. And that's what fools people. But there's good news. There's an antidote for that. Uh, Peter then in chapter 2 about verse 17 to 21, he talks about their destiny. God has already reserved a place for these folks. They're not getting away with anything. It seems like they're winning, which is what attracts even sometimes God's people because it looks so much, so often, uh, like the world is winning. I have a kid and brother as we walked in. I say, all those cars over there across the street. What's going on? I don't know. I'm not going over there to see. Uh, but you see the cars. If they if they like that on Wednesday, I don't can't imagine what it looks like on Sunday. But then you look around here, and I know some people are on vacation. But where are we? Where are we? And this is not an indictment uh, on Choctaw. Uh, because I'm, I'm extremely pleased. I'm, I'm preaching to about 100 times more people tonight than I usually talk to on Wednesday. But people flock to that sound good stuff that tickles our ears and somehow... These people would, they would promise freedom and they were in bondage. 
make promises that they didn't even enjoy. And so the knowledge of Christ is the key. Because he says that uh, there about verse 20 uh, to 22 that, that if uh, you have learned the truth and then again become entangled, that the second state is much worse than the beginning. It's like it's better if you had not known the truth. We know the truth. We can't sell it to fill up the parking lots. Amen. We just need to support the truth like it is the truth. Because that's what uh, John said, I believe, that it would set us free. And when you are set free with the truth, you are free indeed. And so now that moves us to chapter 3. Here in chapter 3, Peter talks about a lot of things there. I guess he was... Getting to the point where he had to just get a lot of stuff in because time is running out for him. Talks about one thing, the end of time, and, and he then reiterates also in chapter 3, verse 1, about the purpose of this letter when he says, Dear friends, he said, This is the second letter that I have written to you. I use both letters, he said, to refresh uh, your memory to do pure thinking. I want you to remember the words that the holy prophets spoke long ago and the command that the Lord and Savior gave through your apostles. So Peter strives and seeks to stir up the mind by way of reminder And he asked them to remember, remember the words that were spoken by the prophets and the apostles because those words don't change. They don't change. It's easier to remember the truth than it is to remember a lie. So we would just focus on remembering truth then the lie stands less of a chance of populating our our minds. He talks about the coming day of the Lord and and the prophecy of the last days there in verses 3 and and 4 when he says, this is the first thing you should know, that in the last days, he says, some people will scoff laughing as they do it. They'll follow their own desires. They, they will ask, when is Jesus coming back as he promised? Where is he? Almost an arrogant attitude concerning the coming of Jesus Christ. You know, there's people who are speaking that way today. 
Where is he? Because he hadn't come yet. They want you to think he's not coming. And if he's not coming, then nothing else matters, does it? Think about it. Think about it. He says, since our ancestors died from the beginning of time, everything, he says, continues in the same way. People get tired of the same way. But there is no other way. I believe Paul said that there's one gospel, and if anybody preaches any other gospel, then let them be accursed. And again, I said, let them be accursed. We just got to learn better the same way. However, like many have selective memory, Verse 5, they forgot, in parentheses, on purpose, that the heavens existed long ago and God's word used water to cause the land to come out of the water. And it was with water a flood that the old world was destroyed. Today's heavens and earth have been reserved for fire by the same word of God, kept for the judgment day to destroy ungodly people. And then Peter goes on to tell them about, look, your little finite mind is trying to figure out time. And you're trying to figure out time as a person who's bound by time. You're trying to figure out the time of one who is not bound by time. So you need to understand that you are just not capable of doing that. You see, but he said that a day unto the Lord is like, what, a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. Uh, some of, we get in it twisted sometimes. We think we know God's time, and none of us know God's time. None of us knows that. So consequently, by uh, us intelligent people knowing God's time, sometimes we want to put some kind of limits <laughs> on God. And you cannot, God's not limited by anything. We are. And then he talks about, about the Lord's promise that the Lord is not slow, or the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering toward us, not wanting any of us to perish. Do you not know that the patience of God can mean salvation for us? Be glad. Be glad. That God is patient. Because that means potential salvation for you and me. But he said, remember this. The Lord will come when no one expects him to come. 
He says, the day of the Lord will come suddenly like a robber or a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a noise and the elements will be destroyed with heat and the earth and every force in it will be gone. But furthermore, he says, since all of that, beginning in verse 11, in this way, everything will be destroyed. So what kind of people should you be? You must live holy and godly lives. Therefore, he said in verse 14, he said, you need to be diligent. You need to give it all that you get. For the Lord rewards those who diligently seek him. God's patience is love shown toward us. See, you and I know beforehand we, we have knowledge. So we need not be fooled. He says, Peter said, we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Growing in grace and knowledge or progress that a Christian uh, is expected to achieve. How? Through he or her diligent application, study, and worship. See, according to Peter, knowledge of Christ is essential for growth and grace. In other words, the more knowledge that we build, the more grace you and I will receive. Ah. Okay, so I got to get to where I need to stop. Ah. Uh, I'm supposed to say now what I believe to be the key lesson or key point uh, of this book, Second Peter. I, I believe that the key point or lesson in this book is centered around knowledge. Knowledge. Not just any knowledge, but the kind of knowledge that is precise uh, and accurate. Uh, because that's what's going to help us in our struggles. And it makes us great candidates for a heavenly future. Knowing God uh, is a, a, per, a perpetual uh, pursuit of additional knowledge. That's why he says you need to add to, add to, add to, add to. So Peter says we must grow in the knowledge of Jesus by adding godly qualities and growing in those qualities. However, he says you and I need to be reminded, and that's what We've done tonight. We need to be reminded of the knowledge that we have in these things and have them stirred uh, up in us from time to time. Now, why is knowledge the key? Because the false teachers are here as they are 
among us, they introduce, he said, destructive things. And we must, if we're going to combat that, must have enough precise knowledge in order to combat that to keep us from being bamboozled or deceived. He says, for our escape of the defilements of the world is directly related to our knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in chapter 2 and verse 20. You see, we can only do as much as we know to do. You ever tell a child to do something that they haven't been taught to do and then you wonder why they don't do it? Sometimes we, 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 we tell asking church members to do something that they really haven't been taught to do. One thing that we do in a church pretty good is hide, hide ignorance. Nobody, nobody, if you say, well, who's ignorant of this? <laughs> you usually don't get a whole lot of volunteers. But we're all ignorant, right, of some things. We're ignorant of some things that other people may know and can help us with. And, and so if, if we, if we uh, uh, claim ignorance but don't try to improve then we stand in jeopardy of the false prophets telling us something that sounds awfully good. Because one thing a false prophet will do is explain him or herself very thoroughly. We'll answer every question that you or me have. And so we will too in the church, but we are reluctant to let anybody know and I'm ignorant. Peter said, don't let our learning become stagnant. We have to be ever learning. Ah. Uh, You know, this knowledge of the word of God is what will help you to do when James says, resist the devil. The only way that you and I can resist the devil is through knowledge of the word. There is no other way. You can't beat them up with your fists. You can't scare them. You can't tell them, shoo. You can't put up a fence, kick them out. The only weapon that you and I have, and it's the same weapon, is the word of God. That is so critical because even the Lord himself, uh, when he was tempted in the desert by Satan by the devil he gave him the word he gave him the word he didn't kick him 
slap him. Could have struck him dead. But he's already dead. But he just gave him the unadulterated word of God. Now, if our Lord and Savior used that as his weapon, don't you think that weapon is good enough for you and me? Don't you think that ought to make us, uh, encourage us to seek to learn more deeply about God's Word. See, God's Word can be learned. Contrary to popular belief, God's Word can be learned, uh, but it's work. It doesn't come through osmosis or just because you want it. Uh, I wish it did. I don't think the prophets really had to study. God just, <laughs> he just give it to them. Uh, but he don't do that for us. We have to get in the book, dig deep. But know this, that it's all worth it. If you can resist the devil by some work and diligently studying and reading God's word, wouldn't it be worth it? Wouldn't it be worth it? Put in 30 years on a job, and yeah, I got a pension, but that's it. Just think if I put in, the Lord gives me 30 years to put in in studying his word, how much more valuable that will be for me for eternity. We have to give that our attention and our time if we want to really resist the devil. The Bible says that we resist him, that he will flee from us. As he left the Lord alone, didn't he? He come back again. That's that's the devil's... uh, M.O., his method of operation, he's, he's coming back again. So he doesn't just flee you and going to leave you alone forever and then he wants you to feel so comfortable that you quit studying, that you quit growing and then he comes back and then you're unable to defend yourself. This is what Peter is telling these people. We have to be prepared for these false teachers because they are coming, they are here, and the only thing that's going to combat them is that Christians know enough about God's word and stay together and watch out for one another. Yeah. Because the devil's too tough to fight them with our own strength. And finally, in the last verse of this great letter, Peter, he exhorts us. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge 
of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That knowledge of the word will help keep us from error and it will guide us into truth. So the message from 2 Peter for me is beware and grow. Beware and grow. And I end my session tonight as Peter ended his book, 2 Peter, with this. Amen.